Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, January 8th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. How about a basketball team with a 54-point swing in two games? That's what Kansas did this week. Here's one even crazier. Missouri had a 29-point swing in a game at Mississippi State. Kansas State, hey, the Wildcats are just looking for a victory, but they played well in spurts lately. We talk Jayhawks, Tigers, and Wildcats on today's show with beat writers Gary Bedore, Jesse Newell, Suichi Tarada, and Callis Robinette. We get a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. Okay, Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell are with us. Hope you guys are doing okay. And Kansas coming off a 29-point victory over TCU on the road, and if I if I got my uh, my calculator out and look this this real quick computation here, that's a 54 point swing for the Jayhawks in two games, minus 25 to plus 29. Gary, how did the uh, level of competition had something to do with it? But uh, but Kansas just played a whole lot better the other night, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, what extremes, like you said, the. The 29-point win was their third biggest blowout on the road in the self-era in league play. And the uh, loss to Texas by 25 was the worst loss in Allen Fieldhouse history. I laugh, but it's been 66 years that thing's been open. And 25 is a blowout, but not that big. And uh, Missouri beat them in 1989 by 25. So uh, to turn it around like that, Curtis Townsend said on the pregame show I was listening that uh, the team was really embarrassed when they found out that they'd set that record of the worst loss at home ever. And they're a proud bunch, and they did play hard that whole game. They never came close to blowing the lead or anything. And everybody, they had so many guys play well. You know, there were maybe six guys that all had really good games. So you're right. You're right, and not just um, you know guys off. Obviously, that makes some guys off the bench. And it was it had to come from different sources because Marcus Garrett didn't play, Bryce Thompson didn't play. Jesse, I, I thought first of all, Tristan Anaruna had probably his best game, and David McCormick. We cannot have a podcast without talking about David McCormick. Played well. That's the kind of David McCormick performance you need to be effective. Listen, it's not the length of Texas or the, you know, the 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 uh, the presence of West Virginia in the paint. Totally different. But that Samuel guy for TCU is a big dude, and McCormick just they just seem to. I don't know. His effectiveness um, is based on the shot selection and and just a bunch of factors with him. What? Uh, why did he play so well? Yeah, I think you mentioned it, and Bill Self mentions this a lot, Blair, when talking about David. Uh, the matchup is going to determine a lot with him. And if he gets to play against a true center who is sort of big like him, it's going to be helpful. And that's exactly what Kevin Samuel is. If he plays against a guy like Jericho Sims from Texas who can take one dribble from the top of the key, take two steps and lay it in off the glass because he's super athletic, that's just not the kind of guy that David McCormick is or uh, you know, potentially the kind of guy that he can guard. So that's part of it. I think the coaching staff is helping him now. Um, it's got to be tough for Dave. Let's start with this. I mean, he's been criticized from a lot of places. I've talked a lot of, you know, about 
how poorly he's played this season. And he had a lot of expectations going in. So for him to stick it out and to play this well against TCU, a lot of credit goes to him. But I, I think they're trying and they're starting to figure out some things with David. And if you look at how KU scored a lot in that game against TCU, they pulled that big man away from the basket. It opened up driving lanes. And then when he was out there, David would set some screens and he was cutting really hard to the rim. And that resulted in KU getting some angles on drives. And it also resulted in them throwing over the top and getting David open for some lobs. And so I think he played with better energy. I think the coaching staff is putting him in better places. And I think he needs to play without the weight of thinking that he has to be this team's leading scorer. Because that did not work for Kansas in the first eight or nine games when he was taking all those fadeaway turnarounds from 14 feet and uh, you know coming up shorter, airballing most of them, and starting off with like a 33% two-point percentage from a big man who should be taking it to the rim. So look, he has there are things he can do. You know, he can lean against a big guy in the post. He's an amazing free throw shooter. He's made 21 free throws in a row, which is a great accomplishment for a big man. And again, he should be taking it strong whenever he can because if he can get to the free throw line, that's a big win for Kansas. But I think Kansas is going to continue to move forward with him playing a role offensively rather than feeling like he has to be the guy offensively. And a lot of that, a lot of that is because of how things have fallen and also because some other Jayhawks have emerged so far this year as better guys who can kind of overtake and, and take over that offensive role. Heck, I think he should shoot the 17-foot jumper from straight ahead. I mean, you're right. He's such a good free throw shooter and you know he's got he's got range obviously for you know for a big guy um Gary I did, I did not realize that the win on um earlier this week was this I guess Tuesday 11th straight on the road for KU dating back to last year that's um that that's pretty healthy and when you think about it you know the, the game that they the, they were 17 and 1 in conference play last yeah. year and the one that they lost was at home right to to Baylor earlier in the year yeah so that's a They've tied the school or the league record for uh, most road wins in a row. They, it was KU that said it before, um, but that is incredible to win eleven in a row on the road. They want to just keep that going because, you know, normally they they drop a couple, obviously, but uh, the other night they played so well that they probably were going to win most against most competition Baylor uh, really looks good I watched their game last night and it's going to be tough to win there although with no fans the road's different this year but that accomplishment is yet another Bill self accomplishment that's pretty darn good yeah we're going to hear later in the podcast from Carlos Robinette who covers Kansas State wrote a story earlier this week that we discussed that you know, the in the Big 12 this year, uh, the, the road team won eight of the first 12. And look, the, it's going on all over sports, right? In the NFL, the the, uh, the road team had a winning record in games this year, which is amazing. Um, so, uh, Jesse, uh, you pointed it out in, in a story that you wrote and uh, with some video attached that uh, Jalen Wilson took on some responsibility in this game and uh, – was mindful of uh, a point guard uh, in, 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 a, uh, in, in a couple of instances. I thought that was really curious that it wasn't, you know, obviously Kansas didn't have Marcus Garrett in the game, uh, but, uh, but, but the plays that you pointed out and, and uh, posted in the, in the story are plays that you would think someone else on the team would have, uh, you know, would have made and said they were, Jalen Wilson was asked to do them and turned out well on both occasions. Yeah, it's, it's, 
KU really has found something with Jalen Wilson. I mean, I, I think this guy is really, really good on the offensive end. And we talk about, you know, David McCormick not really living up uh, to the offensive role that everybody thought he would have coming this season. Jalen Wilson just keeps taking on more and more and more and just seems to be equipped for it. And he has amazing efficiency numbers and continues to increase his offensive role as it goes forward. But um, yeah, he had a lob pass that uh, you could see in the replay of the video. Like it was the exact replica of what Devon Dotson did a couple years ago, the same play. And then he also had a, a backdoor cut pass to uh, a cutting Dewan Harris that uh, Devon Dotson made the exact same pass on the exact cl- same play, ironically enough, or uh, I guess, uh, you know, coincidentally enough against TCU at TCU last year. So it was kind of like a carbon copy of the play, only you're having your six foot eight small forward make the pass instead of your six foot one point guard who's now in the NBA. So I, I, I just think he's been kind of a revelation for Kansas. And to me, he is the reason that KU needs to spread things out to the perimeter. And he's the guy that they've got to center more of their offense on because whatever they've asked him to do, he's been able to do. I mean, think about all that. He, he can rebound. He's great on the offensive glass. He can pass. He's not turning it over. He can make open threes. He can drive to the rim. He's one of their best finishers at the rim. So um, a little bit like I've kind of been using this comparison. It's not a perfect one, but sort of how Iowa State used to do it with George Niang back uh, about four or five years ago where they'd get him the ball in the elbow and he'd kind of survey and look for cutters and then kind of create from there. I, I think Kansas needs to look to do that sort of thing with Jalen Wilson, and they did it a lot against TCU, which was good. I mean, he was either driving or he was finding others, uh, 16 points, eight rebounds, and then he had six assists. He actually had five and went back and looked at all those videos, and Dewan Harris got shorted one that they gave to Jalen <laughs> Wilson. But still, again, for your six-foot-eight small forward uh, to have five assists and to show that he can do that in a game, uh, I think KU needs to lean on him more offensively and try to see exactly how much he can do. I'll tell you what, Niang wasn't the you know the mo- most artistic player that I'd ever seen, but, God, he was effective and, and ended up scoring, I think, um, over 2,000 points for Iowa State. He was... Uh, you know, he was quite an effective player. Hey, hey, Gary, let's uh, let's wrap this up by remembering uh, Lafayette Nor- Norwood, the former KU assistant coach. When I came to Kansas City, he was the coach at Johnson County Community College, and uh, and not only for for basketball but golf. He was he co- coached golf longer than he did basketball, but just a, a presence in you know in, in this area in Johnson County and at KU for almost his entire life, right, after leaving uh, uh, Wichita, uh, where he helped Wichita Heights win the state championship. He was quite a kind – of, kind of a fixture at KU, was he not? Yeah, think of the different parts of the state he affected. He went to Wichita East, won a state title as a player, coached at Wichita Heights, had an undefeated team with Darnell Valentine, came to KU with Darnell, worked – for Ted Owens for those four years. Then he goes to Johnson County. He worked there over 20 years as golf coach, like you said, and basketball coach. But uh, he went to all the KU games, basketball, under the Bill Self era. He uh, often spoke to the team. Self made self does a great job of, of – making former players and coaches involved, and Norwood was one of them. Wayne Simeon was really close to him. But uh, Lafayette Norwood was just a really good guy. He would always wave when he came to the games. His wife passed away a few years ago, and uh, he he just uh, is one of those guys that nobody ever says a bad word about. So uh, 
great guy and uh he'll be missed around everywhere johnson county wichita lawrence just a, a really good guy all right sounds good gary thanks for that and uh and thank you jesse for for uh weighing in and we will talk to you guys again next week suichi tarada covers mizzou for the star hello suichi how you doing I'm good, Blair. Just kind of living the dream, uh, and uh, you know, watching this ranked Mizzou basketball team. Ugh, so we had to start there, didn't we? Uh, they're <laughs> still in the polls this week. I don't know. Maybe the maybe they need to win on on Saturday um, to to stay in the polls when they when LSU visits. But what in the world happened at Starkville? It's funny. Um, we just heard uh, from from Jesse Newell and Gary Bedore, and we were mentioning that the, the KU actually had a 54-point turnaround between games, right? They lose to Texas mm-hmm. by 25, and they beat TCU by 29. I think what Mizzou did was even more improbable, to have a 29-point <laughs> turnover in a game, in a game, to look so good in the first half and lead by 14 and to end up losing it by uh, by the w- wide margin that they did. Um, what w- What's your interpretation of what happened? One of the weirdest games I think I've ever seen, just because you mentioned them, like they had a 14 point lead in the second half. It's not like it yeah. took the, yeah. like it was like a 17 or 18 minute mark when Mississippi State went on its 15 and 0 run, and then it, it was you know they end up losing by double digits. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a team look so good because I think they played one of if not their best half in that first half, um, and then they were just beating up Mississippi State. And Jeremiah Tillman looked great again, and he looked great for the whole game. But it was just it was so weird. I think. There were kind of some worrisome little bits and pieces in that first half, and I think it all kind of came to a head. I mean, DJ Stewart, by my calculations, he scored 13 straight, including some tough, like, it's not like, they, I don't think Mizzou played, like, horrific defensively. I think it was just DJ Stewart catching fire, and then Mizzou just happened to kind of be in the way. I don't know. Apparently, the Bulldogs are very tired, according to the TV broadcast. I know fans and um, writers myself are kind of tired of the color commentator kind of digging that into us a little bit, but... I think you look at a few things. Mizzou only won two, the free throw line six times. That's you know that doesn't happen for Mizzou Blair. Uh, if you look at the Ken Palm stats, they were actually coming into the game. They were they had one of the best free throw rates in the nation, like top ten. So when I looked at that, I was like, something went something went wrong here. Ask Conzo. I think he didn't necessarily blame the refs. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to get fined or anything like that. But he 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 did admit he's never seen anything like that where they didn't get a foul or they only got three foul calls in that second half and it was kind of bizarre to watch because I think they were playing a little bit physical and then Mizzou just got out rebounded I believe the margin was 37 to 22 that shouldn't happen for a Conzo Martin team and and between all those things they, they were still kind of happening in that first half but they were just playing so well but I think when you mix in Mississippi State getting hot Mizzou offense kind of looked a little rushed with its shot selection the threes weren't falling like and they haven't all season but it, it was just a kind of a weird mix that uh essentially led to, like I said, one of the weirdest games you'll see as a fan. And, and it's weird, Blair, because you mentioned, like, that turnaround with KU is just with Mizzou. It's like they had such a great game against Arkansas. Yeah. Some of them self-inflicted on the Hogs, I think, with the layups. But then you look at Mississippi State, and it's just it's, – it's, it's kind of this roller coaster uh, so far in SEC place. So I'm curious to see what Mizzou looks like against uh, the LSU Tigers on Saturday. Well, I was willing to um... – Excuse the Tennessee loss after I what I saw happened at Arkansas when they um, mm-hmm. Missouri won uh, impressively down there and 
okay, okay. So Tennessee was the exception. That was the, you know, they, <laughs> they, they just, um, they you know, got down and stayed down. It was almost like that Kansas, uh, Texas game previous week, you know, uh, last week that Tennessee, Missouri was kind of like that. They just, just outgunned, outmanned and okay. Anybody can have a bad day at the office. And so Missouri did, but they go down and beat Arkansas. And then we get to halftime uh, at Mississippi state. And it's like, okay, every, everything's fine. And, and then it, by the end of the game uh, in Starkville, I'm back to thinking, well, what do we have here with this Missouri team? I mean, are we, um, you know, is, is this, can, can we expect, is this a top four SEC team? Because that's what I was thinking after the Arkansas game, um, even through the Tennessee game, I'm thinking, yeah, this, this Mizzou team can be top four and um, get that double bye and all that and, uh, in, in the tournament. I just don't know now. I, 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 um, I don't. I don't know. I haven't studied the rest of the conference. To I mean, I, we know that it's not a. You know, it's going to be a competitive league, but not not necessarily top heavy. So there, there may be some. You know, a lot of jockeying for positions. Uh, I, I think it's clear that Tennessee is the best team, but uh, but then Tennessee turns around and loses at Alabama the next game. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what? What's help me bottom line at Suichi? What are we to make of Missouri and? Uh, is this something these next two games are going to reveal? Um, LSU on Saturday, and then Vandy comes to uh, Columbia on Tuesday. Yeah, Blair. I think the bottom line thing is this is at, at no matter what happens. I think at, by the end of the season, this is not a Mizzou team that's going to finish tenth at least. So from from a bare minimum perspective, I think you can kind of take some solace in that. I still think they can compete for a top four seed in the SEC. Uh, you mentioned that as well, players. Kind of a weird year. Tennessee. I mean, they lost to. Alabama, they really struggled against Arkansas, and I, I know that's part of three-point shooting, and there's there's some noise there, especially game-to-game. You know, This is why college basketball is what it is, but it, it kind of makes you step back and wonder what's happening. Alabama's gotten off to a great start. LSU is another team kind of to watch. Florida, you know, even without Keontae Johnson, looks dangerous. And, and you have a lot of kind of spicier teams, you know, like Arkansas, like even a Georgia. So it's it's kind of a weird league. Um, I think Tennessee is the best team, but they, you know, when when you you know, like I just mentioned, when like when the three pointers are going in for the opposing team and they shoot, you know, fifty percent, like I believe Alabama did against Tennessee. Like no matter how good you are on defense, like sometimes you are just susceptible like that because that's just the volatility, you know, of the three pointer and everything. So it's weird. I think Mizzou. This this LSU game, you know, I I know it's still three games in, but just I th- I think just going getting back to two and two would, would be a good start and you have a chance to go above 500 you know against a bad Vanderbilt team and I know they, they get Kentucky fist but we don't know who Kentucky is um Blair this is kind of a I had this you know I had this week kind of um ready at halftime against Mississippi State and then we know what happened but Mizzou hasn't been above 500 they have not had a winning SEC record since that 10 and 8 year in, in Kazo Martin's first year you know the last two years obviously haven't gone as well and, and it's just kind of it's been a long time since Mizzou. You can type that Mizzou is whatever record they are with a winning SEC record. So I think getting to that first point, and, and I don't think the team cares about it. I think it's just something that I kind of thought of. But I think it's just 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 kind of getting above that mental hurdle, I guess, or, or whatever. I think can go a long way. So it's still early, you know, eighteen games. Uh, I don't think Kazo Martin is very worried yet. You have an experienced squad. I think they'll they'll get it together. You know, you need a little bit more from Drew and Mark Smith. Uh, but otherwise, you know, Penson and Tunnel have been playing great, and and we'll see how that bench flushes out, just because it has been kind of a roller coaster few games for for Mizzou. Okay, 
All right, hey, let's switch it up real quick and let's talk about uh, football. Uh, Missouri loses a defensive coordinator. Uh, Ryan Walters heads out to Illinois to join uh, the staff of Brett Bielema, and so there is a vacancy at at Mizzou. Have we heard any names yet for the new DC? And uh, what is what does this uh, what does this move mean to Mizzou? Yeah, I think there's there's you know we haven't heard anything concrete. I think people are looking at you know like the Derek Masons of the world, who I believe is reportedly likely headed to Auburn, um, based on the last reports. Though this this can change day by day, and then there have been some kind of other interesting names, but nothing concrete yet. I think Drinkwitz is is at the point where he might take a little bit more time, or it might be an internal hire as well. Uh, Ryan Walters actually was in contact tracing, uh, or I believe had a positive or his wife had a positive test i believe and he was in contact tracing for that so he hasn't missed the south carolina game and so david gibbs a secondary coach he's he's you know a veteran guy he's kind of an inside if if mizzou does go with an internal hire i think you'll see a guy like that and and he was the play caller defensive coordinator david gibbs was when ryan walters was out so you have a few kind of interesting names um I, i i am personally i think mizzou you know it was weird mizzou's defense had very great highs you know keeping Kentucky and South Carolina 10 points, shutting out Vandy. But then the SEC offenses of late have been pretty potent. So Mizzou essentially reset a season high, you know, the past three games against Arkansas um, and, and, and then Mississippi State and, and and all that. So it was just kind of, an, kind of a weird year for the defense. I think Ryan Walters kind of realized that, hey, maybe it might be – you might get a better job security going to Illinois, being, you know, that head coach's – external kind of pick you know just because drink was did retain him from Barry Odom's staff so I think maybe there was a little bit of that so you know Illinois I don't I, I think Mizzou fans would agree with me that Mizzou is absolutely a better job than Illinois or a better football destination especially historically um but I I, I just think that it, it was maybe like a long-term play just because Ryan Walters is still young so he was probably kind of considering that uh when, when he was making that change okay all right, Suichi, great catching up with you. Uh, we will do it again next week. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we'll hear from Kellis Robinette. We'll talk a little Kansas State. All right, Suichi, take care. All right, thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, 
and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, Callis, what's up? Not much, Blair. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Happy New Year. I don't think we've talked since uh, since the calendar has turned. So um, since the calendar has turned, Kansas State hasn't won a basketball game, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. When I watch the Wildcats, I see, you know, spurts of good basketball, uh, but just not enough of them. I, you know, just the other night, the Texas Tech game in, in Lubbock, you know, they're coming out in the, the first part of the second half. I just thought they played really well offensively. And uh, I think you could say that with a couple other games that they've played, but um, still an uphill battle for Bruce Weber's guys. Yeah, they've definitely shown signs of improvement over the past month, just uh, not quite enough yet to beat uh, the better teams in the Big 12. And as you mentioned there, it's kind of interesting. You, you see uh, improvement in one area in one game, and then – some areas of regression in the next. The Texas Tech game was a great example. They, they go down to Lubbock and score 71 points against uh, arguably the best defensive team in the conference. That's uh, the highest number any Big 12 team has put up against Texas Tech this season, at least in regulation. KU went to Lubbock and only scored 58 against them. So normally you would say, hey, 71 points in Lubbock, that should give Kansas State a great shot of victory. But uh, they just they can't stop one of the worst offensive teams in the conference and give up 82 points and lose. So that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, you know, the, the the youth thing is still a factor. They're starting three freshmen. They even had four freshmen on the court at the same time uh, at, at various points during the Texas Tech game, and that makes it awfully hard to win. And, um, you know, they've shown some nice signs on offense, but until they can figure out how to uh, actually get in front of some defenders and stop some people off the dribble, um, you know, they're, they're not going to go on a long winning streak, at least in Big 12 play. Right, right. It's going to be difficult. Um, they've got home games coming up Saturday against Oklahoma State and then uh, Iowa State, who they just played, seems like, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, back in uh, in Bramwich Coliseum on on Wednesday. You know, Kellis, you wrote something uh, this week or this past week that was, that was really interesting. I, I guess I hadn't been paying that much as close attention to it as, as you have, but the the early results in Big Twelve play eye opening for this reason not so much because you know Baylor and Texas and Kansas and some others are you know are, are in the in the polls and playing really well but uh, the fact that uh, home teams not doing a great job defending their home floor and I, I just wrote a story it hasn't been it's hasn't it's not been online yet the NFL just went through the same thing where. In the regular season, road teams actually had a winning record for the first time in history against home teams. And in the Big in Big Twelve basketball, at one point, I don't know where it stands now, but at one point, um, road teams won eight of the first twelve games in in conference play. Is there anything beyond the obvious here? Um, no fans in the stands. I mean, that's not only is it obvious, but it, it's a pretty significant factor. Uh, but is there anything else beyond that that we can point to? I mean, I think that's obviously the big thing. You, uh, I mean, the, the biggest, uh, if you want to look at any one result that kind of proves this theory of why in the world are, are Big 12 basketball teams um, going on the road and winning all these games, they were 9-4, uh, and four, I believe, on Monday night after West Virginia won at 
came all the way back to beat Oklahoma State on the road. I'm not sure what the record is now, but the road teams have still won more games than the home teams this year, so very odd. But anyways, the the, the lasting image I have of all this is just uh, that, that picture that circulated online of Bill Self burying his head in his hands uh, with the score of Texas beating Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse by 25. And that's something that just uh, never, regardless of how good an opponent is, has happened in the past. Um, you know, teams have won at Allen, um, you know, here and there during the Bill Self era, but never a dominating fashion like that. And it's fair to wonder how how fans in the stands would have affected that game. Um, and, you know, but but not every place is Lawrence, you know, um, places like Baylor, places like uh, Texas Tech traditionally don't have the greatest home court advantages, um, even with fans there. But I, I think the, the thing this year is just that – it's just so everything is so much different than the norm that every court feels neutral, whether you're playing at home, whether you're playing on the road. And I kind of wonder if there's some kind of weird element in that it almost feels more businesslike teams take it more seriously when they are able to get on the plane are able to go on the road and have a, you know, a traditional road buildup. I don't know if part of that maybe gets players more psyched up for a game and uh, makes things feel a little bit normal for them. Um, but that, that's something I have worried or thought about other than just the, the fan element is that maybe there's something to, you know, getting on the bus, going through a little bit more of a normal routine and playing these games on the road. Then there is at home when it just still kind of feels weird to like, if you're a Kansas state player, come out in Bramlage and not see any students there. Um, it, it's, we, we've heard coaches talk about it before. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is create your own energy when there's no fans in the stands. And uh, if you're the road team, you know, you're already pro- probably pumped up to try to win on the road. If you're the home team, um, maybe that extra motivation isn't there, and that's part of the reason why road teams are having so, a little bit more success. I think that's a good point. That, and, and maybe if you're the road team, you're bringing more focus into the game than you are as, as the home team because you, yeah, you, you know, you have gotten on the bus, on the plane, in the hotel, and you know, you, it just lends itself to a, a more focused situation. So, something to keep an eye on as we go forward in college basketball and Big Twelve hoops. Hey, Kels, I want to get your thoughts on just a couple things. Um, I know you're a Heisman voter. Did the did, did your guy win the Heisman? He did. I voted for uh, I voted for Smith at Alabama. Um, I thought he was uh, probably the best playmaker all season, and uh, also kind of selfishly, I, I'm sick of just seeing quarterbacks and running backs <laughs> win it. So when I, when a, a, a worthy wide receiver, somebody in a different position, comes up and says, "Hey, vote for me," I, I'm willing to do to do it. I've uh, um, since, since I've been a voter for the last, oh, I don't know, 10 or so years, I remember voting for uh, Nadamakong Sue when he was at uh, Nebraska. Nebraska yeah. good defender. I, I haven't been afraid to go out and vote for players that aren't quarterbacks, and uh, I, I thought he deserved it. So I'm glad to see finally they uh, people looked <laughs> looked away from just one position to give it to somebody. Yeah, the guy was phenomenal, Devontae Smith. And, and, uh, and of course, we'll see him on Monday night, uh, assuming – that there's no delay in the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State. Who you got in that one? Uh, the Crimson Tide, I, last I saw, was a seven-point favorite. I think I've seen it as low as six-and-a-half and up to seven-and-a-half, but uh, last one I think I saw was seven. Uh, do you like the Crimson Tide on Monday night? I do. I, I think Alabama, a lot like LSU last year, is just head and shoulders above everybody else, especially on offense. Nobody's been able to go out and stop them. Um, I guess the the two things I would pay attention to are that uh, Steve Sarkeesian will definitely have his attention split in two different places for this game. 
um, with him becoming the new Texas coach and then trying to coach this game. Um, You know, I I don't know how much of a factor that'll be. We've seen plenty of times when coaches have been able to go ahead and and, uh, take care of business in those situations. But I, I do think that adds an interesting wild card to it. And I guess I'm also curious to see is if Ohio State can play with that same us against the world mentality that they brought against Clemson. Um, I think had people given them a little bit more love before that game and respect and said, you know what, um, this is a toss-up. Both teams are really good. I don't think Ohio State would have won the way they did against Clemson. I think they were they were angry and they had something to prove and they did it. Um, but, I, you know, is that is that uh, chip on their shoulder still there? I, I don't know. I don't know if you can bring that two weeks in a row. Um, so that if they can do it again, then I'd give them a chance. But if they're not going to come out with just this vengeance to prove people wrong, I don't know. I, I still lean Alabama. I mean, shoot, they had uh, three of their three of their best players were in the Heisman conversation. That's that's a very tough offense to slow down. So I'll go Bama. I, I agree with you. I, I think there's an opportunity for the game to be close for I don't know half three quarters, but in the end, Alabama just is superior. And uh, and, and we don't know how Justin Fields is after the hit that he took in the right, right. in the Clemson game. So okay, well, Kellis, great catching up with you, and we will do it again next week. All right, Blair. Look forward to it. That'll do it for today and this week. Thanks to our production staff and everyone who helps make Sportsbeat KC happen. Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Gary Bedore, Suichi Tarada, Jesse Newell, and Kellis Robinette for stopping by and talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you, especially for those who want a deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you could subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at accounts.kansascity.com slash subscribe. If you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, you send me an email, bkirkhoff at kcstar.com, and I will get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Monday with a first look at the Chiefs' playoff opponent.